Welcome to Kingdom.Think. Today we are covering 2 Kings 18.19, Proverbs 19, and Ephesians 2. Now, um, we are going through the Bible in one year. That's what we do at Kingdom.Think. And in Proverbs, it's really difficult to summarize because I'm just, you know, I'm giving my perspective or summarizing, hopefully inspiring you to pick up your own Bible and read this passage because you know, when you read it, the Holy Spirit will speak to you totally different than, than the message I got. So I'm sharing you the message I got when I read something, but when you read it on your own, it'll speak to you in a different way because you're going through different things in your life. It's just amazing how that happens, by the way. Um, okay, so, so I'm reading directly from Proverbs. So if you did nothing else and you just turned on the podcast because you wanted to hear your Proverbs for the day, I do it at the beginning, so you can do that you can listen to um, your Proverbs. So this is chapter 19. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their hearts rage against the Lord. Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friends of the poor person deserts them. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will not go free. Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of the one who gives gifts. The poor are shunned by all their relatives. How much more do their friends avoid them? Though the poor pursue them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. And poor, yes, it can mean you know wealth and possessions, of course, in many areas of the Bible. But it can also mean poor in spirit. It could also mean poor in wisdom. So, and that's what I mean. It'll speak to you in different ways when you read it. So the one who gets wisdom loves life, and the one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will perish. We just mentioned it, what, two times about lying? So clearly that's important not to lie. It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. How much worse for a slave to rule over princes? A person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. A king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. So true. A foolish child is a father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. That's funny. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and... The shiftless go hungry. Whoever keeps commands keeps their life, but whoever shows contempt for their their ways will die. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Discipline your children, for in their for in that there is hope. Do not be willing do not be a willing party to their death. So I would interpret it as discipline your children. For if you do, then there is actually hope for their future. But if you refuse to discipline them or you don't want to discipline them, then you are actually a willing party to their death. Yowza. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them and you will have to do it again. Listen to the advice and accept, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. 
What a person desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. Another reference about being a liar. The fear of the Lord, which means respect and honor and reverence and... Okay, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. In the dish, He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Flog a mocker, and the simple will learn prudence. Rebuke the discerning, and they will gain knowledge. Okay, and that one's one to ponder on. Whoever robs their father and drives out their mother is a child who brings shame and disgrace. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stay, stray from the word of knowledge. A corrupt witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Penalties are prepared for mockers and beatings for the backs of fools. As you can see, you cannot summarize Proverbs because each verse stands alone. Moving on to Ephesians 2. It's always exciting to see what Paul's up to. He's talking to the people of Ephesus. Now remember, when we read Ephesians, look for the thread of the purpose of life. Look for the paradigm shift in your own identity. So when you read something in Ephesians, you might go, uh, that's not how I do it, or I didn't know. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to shift your paradigm so that you understand your identity because our culture is trying to pull us away from our true identity. From the beginning of time, it's trying to pull us away from identity. The Bible is designed to pull you back to your purpose here on earth, your purpose in eternity, and and your true identity as a son and daughter of God. So that's exactly what he's doing, and I'm going to read a couple cool verses in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Verse 3, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Okay. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So how do you be saved? Through faith and God's grace And then the next part, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, just to clarify, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So cool, right? Couldn't even summarize that. How do you summarize the meaning of life? How do I summarize your true identity? This is perfect. This is so good how Paul did that. And then on the second part of chapter two, he is referencing circumcision and uncircumcision again, because that's what separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And so they, the people who are not Jews think they have to be circumcised to be able to be a, a Jesus follower, a Christ follower. Um, but that's not true. And so Paul is just 
shouting from the rooftops. He's saying, you don't have to do that. That's, it doesn't happen that way anymore. And he's expressing it in so many different ways, as we know when we read um, Galatians, right? But now he's talking to the people of Ephesus and he's being gentle about it, I think, in chapter 2. But I guess when you're writing a letter, you should be gentle at the beginning, right? So he's referencing the circumcision again. And then he says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who was made, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier that's been dividing. Perfect. Perfect. I mean, yeah. So Jesus, when he, okay, I'm just going to keep reading by setting aside in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So Jesus reconciled the two groups by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For though, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So good. Consequently, we're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people. Is that a paradigm shift? I mean, maybe you know already, but maybe you think you aren't part of God's family because of something you've done or because you didn't grow up in the church or because maybe you don't have wealth and you think only the wealthy are Christians or or you think your sins are so great that you can't be close to God. What he's saying here is not true, not true, not true. That division, and he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. He's talking about the circumcised and uncircumcised, but he's also talking about those that are separate from God, meaning they've sinned. And what he's saying is, we all did that. We were all by nature like that. But because of Jesus, that division is gone. And we can come to God directly because we have direct access to the Father by the Spirit. My friends, that was verse 18. So if you ever wonder, 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 just go back to verse 18. Just go back to this chapter. I mean, you could read this one chapter chapter two, over and over and over and over and meditate on it and embed it in your soul to know who you are. You are the handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us in advance, which means there is a purpose for your life, that you are God's handiwork. And the fact that you make mistakes or you do things that are wrong. Yep. That's normal. Everybody does it. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And if you sure didn't know how to get saved, have faith through Jesus. Believe everything it's saying here by faith. And a gift from God is his grace. Oh my goodness, that's so good. Now you can see why people could just study the book of Ephesians for like, an entire year. Moving on to 2 Kings 18, 19. More kings, more death, <laughs> more wars. But at least what's kind of cool about, there's two things that are great about 2 Kings 18, 19. It's not all dark and doom and gloom. We have a king named Hezekiah who's come onto the scene 
And guess what? He did good in the eyes of the Lord. He did right in the eyes of the Lord, got rid of all the Asherah poles, the sacred stones. He even knocked down the the high places, which the other kings had not done. He even got rid of the um, the bronze snake pole that Moses had put up. And the reason he did that is because Moses did not have intention of it being an idol, but the people were making it an idol. They were burning incense on it. So something that was good became an idol. And that needs to get rid of, get rid of it. So you might wonder sometimes, why is this good? But now we have to get rid of it because it has become an idol and replaced in your heart where God resides. Pretty crazy, right? So that's why for some people, like let's say stones, for example, stones are beautiful. God created them. But some people use them as if they had power or if they were like part of this ritual, um, this religious or um, ritualistic thing, basically that they had power. Some people believe stones are like that. Well, God made stones, so they're not bad, but it's what people use them for and how they identify them. If they become idols, get rid of them because they cause you to stumble and be separate from God. So that's what Hezekiah, Hezekiah did. During his time, he had to face the king of Assyria, who is really dominant right now. He is just slaughtering and taking prisoners, and he's the dominant force. Hezekiah has to face him. <clears throat> yeah, we can look at it as just story. It is. It's just history. It's true. It's just story. Or we can say, who is the king of Assyria in our life? Like, what is that thing that we're facing? Are we like Hezekiah doing right in the eyes of the Lord? Are we getting seeking wise counsel like Hezekiah did because he went to the prophet Isaiah, which is another point I wanted to make. I think this is the first time they mentioned the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah is coming on the scenes. And that is verse... Um, where is it at? Verse 5. When King Hezekiah officials came to Isaiah... Isaiah said to them, okay, so now I'm shifting gears because I'm going to say what the prophet Isaiah says about this king, Assyri king of Assyria attacking him. He says, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And there I will have him cut down with the sword. So the prophet Isaiah is now speaking. He's on the scene. This is important. Some people think that Isaiah is only speaking in the book of Isaiah. Not true. He's showing up right here to the kings. And Hezekiah is listening to him. So then Hezekiah hears the report. Then he prays to the Lord himself. And then the prophet Isaiah sends word to the king Hezekiah saying, The Lord has heard your prayer concerning this king of Assyria. This is what the Lord has spoken. And then it goes on, not going to read the whole thing, but you should read it because it's, pr it's pretty long and it's good to understand how the prophet Isaiah speaks. Because I don't know if he's speaking in parables or riddles. It's such a rich way of speaking that sometimes it's hard to understand. Um, 
So go ahead and give that a try. And then, but he's just telling, like, let's say verse 25. Have you not heard long ago I ordained it? In days of old I planned it, and now I have brought it to pass, that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone, their people drained of powers and dismayed and put in shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender greens. Okay, so this is how I, the prophet Isaiah speaks. You cannot just pull out, in my opinion, you can't just pull out pieces. You have to go in there and let your soul and your spirit understand what he's saying because these are the words from God himself through the prophet Isaiah. Um, but I will go down to verse 32. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it um, with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will enter his city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of of David, my servant. So that night, the angel of the Lord went into the tent of the king of Assyria and put to death 100, 185,000 in the camp. And when the king woke up the next morning and saw all these people dead, he ran, he escaped to Nineveh and settled in there. Um, and then he died. How did he die? His sons killed him by the sword. Another death of a king. So who became the new king? His son. And that's how we end chapter 19. So that was 2 Kings 18, 19, Proverbs 19, and Ephesians 2. There you have it, my friends. Have a great day, and I shall see you tomorrow.